You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're celebrating the release of Mallory's new book, Girly Drinks. It's very exciting. It's being released this week. When this comes out, can people buy the book? Yeah, it's a, as of this recording, well, when this book, when this episode gets released, it'll have been out for two days. Wow. Not too late, guys. Not too late, y'all. Not too late. Um, and we're celebrating that by talking about micro histories. But first. What are you reading, Bria? I'm reading, I'm listening to, I thought I'd talk about the micro history I'm, I'm listening to. I've been listening to it. Hey. For maybe six weeks, I, I it's been a slow, slow time me listening to it. Um, I definitely had to renew it from the library. Um, but it's called Why We Swim by Bonnie Choi. Um, it is, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we could talk about whether or not it's a microhistory because it's sort of about the history of swimming, but also a little bit about the, um, about the psychology and, um, uh, it is literally a, a like sort of like human experience with swimming, and um, uh, the author is a big swimmer, and she goes into all these stories of like people who swam in the Olympics, like um, or like the a woman who did. Uh, there's this word when you've when you've swam all of the different seas. What is that? Like a seven sea swim or seven ocean swim or something like that. Um, I have no idea. There's a woman who being did, a fucking good swimmer. That's yeah, what it's called. Yeah, it is. It is. And the woman who did that, like the last one, is like super dangerous. Like people die because from like jellyfish stings and shark sharks and shit. Um, it's pretty great. It it is. Um, uh, it's it's just a I uh you know I swim. I'm a swimmer. I like swimming. I go swimming pretty often, and swimming has always been a part of my life. So this is a really fun little book. Um, sort of deep dive into humans relationships human a human relationship with swimming uh what are you reading Molly? uh i am not reading a micro history even though i should have been uh, i'm reading a haunted house book because it's october and that's yeah. all i want to do during uh-huh. october uh i am reading the peculiar incident on shady street by Lindsay curry and it is it's a really cute fun middle grade haunted house book it's a really really fun book for halloween it's about this girl and um, her family has just moved from Florida to Chicago and she's really unhappy because Chicago is rainy and it's there's no beaches and her best friend isn't there um, and they move into their new house and some spooky, creepy things start happening and she ends up having to solve a, this mystery about this ghost um, and make new friends along the way and she ends up making friends while they're all trying to hunt for this ghost together and it's it's really fun it's really cute it's just like a really easy breezy beautiful uh, cover girl <laughs> cover, cover easy breezy beautiful cover ghost um <laughs> easy breezy fun halloween read nice. um and we don't know what sean is reading right now unfortunately uh but so that is the peculiar incident on shady street by Lindsay curry and mine is Why We Swim by Bonnie Choi. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Jennifer wrote in, on episode 208, you discussed wishing there was an option for an adult book it program. Yes, we still feel we that We would way. like that, yes. <laughs> well, I was... Uh, while I wish there was a national program, two of my very best friends and their spouses have created just such a program in Oklahoma City, and I have to tell you about it. Wow. Their wine bar, called The Study, is every book lover's dream. First, they partnered with a local librarian who selects a book for the month. 
This month's is My Year of Rest and Relaxation by uh, Otessa Moshfeg and curates a list of book club questions. Then they partnered with a locally owned pizzeria across the street <laughs> from their bar. Once a month, people can come in for book at night and get a stamp for participating. They've even selected wines to pair specifically with the book. If you come six times, you get a coupon for a free personal pan pizza. Wow. Uh, the dream. The dream. Books, librarians, wine, free pizza. There's nothing not to love. I'm so proud of what they've created, and I just need to brag about it. My re my reader wheelhouse is Woman Against a Post-Apocalyptic Nightmare, Murder in an Irish Bog, what? Fictional Anthropologist <laughs> in an Unknown Culture, Dust Bowl Stories, and Mothers on a Journey. This is so specific. P.S. You better believe I ordered both of my friends a copy of Girly Drinks as well as my own personal copy. Jennifer, this is just this win-win-win all around. Wow. Incredible. Wow. I... Incredible feedback. Incredible email notes. No notes. <laughs> I would love for someone to start something like that in Los Angeles. That's so cool. I would drive down the mountain. I would drive two hours just each way mm -hmm. just to get to this. This is fantastic. I don't know why more more places don't do this. I, this it, is the most genius thing I've ever heard. It's amazing. Um, so Isla wrote in with a hot audiobook tip. Wow, wow, Ooh, hot wow. audio tip. But, but hot, hot audiobook <laughs> tip. Hot tip in your ears. <laughs> I want to share an audiobook tip. I've listened to all the episodes, but I don't remember if this particular tip has ever been mentioned before. I have a hard time concentrating on fiction on audio, as I suppose many other people do, so I usually stick to nonfiction. However, I find the full cast fiction audiobooks much easier to follow and concentrate on, especially if there are audio effects and music involved too. It's not one narrator, but a whole cast, a different narrator for each character and POV. Uh, some of my favorites would be Sadie by Courtney Summers, Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Nouvelle. Ooh, I'd like to hear that in that. Um, or Six Stories by Mac, Matt Wesolowski. Um, That's great. That's very cool. I also find that I can pay attention better if it's just chapters are read by different people. You know, if like chapters are from different yeah. POVs, then I can like, I'm like, oh, right, it's this person's voice. Something about that like cues my brain in. So this is a good... This is a hot audiobook tip and definitely great for people who wrote in and were someone wrote in recently and they were like, I want to get into audiobooks and these seem like a good place to start. Oh, for sure. So quick bookmark from us, folks. It's finally happening. We're so excited. We are having the read first reading glasses readathon. Next month, it's gonna be November 14th. So that is a Sunday, November 14th. We're gonna start at 9 a.m. Pacific time and end at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So nine to five, Dolly style. We are going to wherever you want, on your couch, in your bed, outside, wherever. Uh, we're gonna read for eight hours straight. It's mm -hmm. gonna be a blast. Pick a stack of books, get a bunch of snacks, get some drinks. And we're going to be checking in with you every few hours on uh, Instagram Live. But it's just going to it's just an excuse for us to sit and read for eight hours. It's going to be awesome. We're really excited. Uh, it's going to be a really fun event. And uh, we hope you join us. Uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And before we talk about micro histories, we're going to take a quick break. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups and go to the gym to maintain physical wellness and prevent injury and disease. Going to therapy is like all of the above. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. Yeah, and... 
I don't even think we need to explain therapy to the listeners of our show. Our listeners of uh, Reading Glasses, they want a healthy mind. They want a healthy outlook. They want their bodies and to be sharp and healthy. Sharp bodies? How about sharp minds? You want to get your brain jacked? Go to therapy. (laughs) BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Which is super cool. But I mean, I personally do camera. Uh, Me and my therapist have been meeting via FaceTime for since the whole pandemic started. And at first it was kind of weird uh, just because I had been used to us doing it in person. And now it's just so normal. It's so cool and easy and convenient. I just go down to my office and shut my door and FaceTime with my therapist. And we talk about all the things that are making me anxious and some good ways to, to make them stop making me anxious. And it's fantastic. It's really honestly that one of the best things I ever did for myself. And What's cool about BetterHelp is that it can be more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. That's like prime shipping, but for your mental health. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boom. So why invest in everything else but not your mind? This podcast, again, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Reading Glasses listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash glasses. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash glasses. Glasses. Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just got to share. On Just the Zoo of Us, your new favorite animal review podcast, we're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us, which can now be found in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we're doing double duty. We're ticking off another box on the 2021 Reading Glasses Challenge, and we're celebrating Girly Drinks Release Week by talking about micro histories. What are they? How do you find great ones to read? And why are they cool? So (laughs) first off, two things. One, I swear on my life that I did not put this on the challenge for girly drinks. Did not plan it that well. I just saw, I think it was last year we saw a bunch of people talking about micro histories, and we were like, oh, that'd be a cool thing to put on the challenge next year. Uh, and we did. And then I was like, oh my God, curly drinks. Perfect. <laughs> um, and then two, Bria, let's first off, let's talk about what a micro history actually is. Cause that's the thing that I think I see readers talk about the, the most is trying to figure, I see it on our Slack channel all the time. Is like people asking what counts as a micro history. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the term micro history, I think maybe started one way and now we're using it a different way. Yes. So we are using the word micro history wrong. Tough luck. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, so it, honestly, so does most of the publishing world. And that's fine. Language is meant to evolve, to serve people, not the other way around. Um, so microhistory originally referred to a very specific type of history that like, you know, scholars and academia people and, and historians would use. It's like a very specific type of history writing that focused on one event or community or a tiny slice of a time period. Nowadays, publishing and a lot of readers and reviewers, they use microhistory to describe a broader category of history book about something very specific, like an object, a behavior, a phenomenon, whatever, like rain, history of butter, history of salt, history of boobs, of which I have that book. Mm. Um, a lot of cultural histories or social histories are referred to as microhistories. And again, it's fine. Yeah. People know what you mean. Mm -hmm. It's okay. So, Bria, what? I mean, we were you were talking at the top of the show that you're reading a microhistory. Do you like reading them, big fan? I do. I do. As many listeners know, I have a master's degree in American studies. And I usually say history or American history for simplicity's sake. But um, if you – my degree is actually specifically in American studies, which is if you – ever took a class in American studies, you know, in that department, it's basically just micro histories. That's kind of what it is. It's Bria like has her degree in micro. It kind of is. Cause it's basically like, it's, we don't study the war. We study like what kind of chairs were used in the, we sat on during the war or something like it's such a specific kind cool. of history. Yeah. Um, so I got a taste of that kind of micro history like 20 years ago when I decided that that was the major I was going to be in college. Um, and God, was that 20 years ago? Yeah, it was. Um, and I, I love these kind of books because I think they're really approachable when it comes to history, history books. And I love history. I love historical fiction, but I also, I love just reading about history and the way people behaved or different, the history of different things and how they've changed over time. Um, and this is just, it's an approachable way because it's kind of just one small thing, you know, instead of, uh, you know, this giant like, oh, you know, the 1920s. Like, there's so much happening then, right? But, <laughs> yeah. it, but you yeah. just study, you know, the a specific dance from the 1920s. Like, that is much more interesting to me and easier for me to grasp as a person who is not studying history full time. Um, and microhistories give you great party facts. Yeah, I Lots mean, that's of great really party the whole facts. reason why we all read them. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's the, like... Oh, are you uh, are you eating popcorn? You know, popcorn originated. You know, like you can have those kinds oh, yeah. of party. I don't know why someone's eating popcorn at a party, but um, Mallory, what about you? Do you like <laughs> do you like microhistories? Absolutely. Uh, honestly, it's my favorite type of history to read. Um, I love being able to look at something like, especially something that's like ubiquitous in my life uh, in a totally new way. Um, history of personal hygiene, history of the word fuck, history of the word, uh, history of the Los Angeles Public Library. Give me all of it. Um, these uh, are definitely what I like to call did you know books? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you just said, you know, because you read them and you want to go to a party so you can walk up to people and be like, D did you know? Um, I also love them for the accessibility too. Um, I think they're, they're usually geared towards someone who knows nothing about the subject. Yeah. Um, and I really love the books that take time to make sure that everyone who reads it can understand what's going on. Uh, I saw somewhere that someone described micro history books as books that tell a big story in a small world. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love, I, I love that looking at the world through like a very, very specific lens and, um, just so fascinating to me. Yeah, and I think it's it, it it's it's usually about something that 
uh, you know, like I know what a guitar looks like, but I can't tell you the history of a guitar. So it's usually something we're already somewhat familiar with. Like we have like a step in. It's not, you know, the history of salt. Like obviously that's a huge one, the, uh, a huge book mm-hmm. that people love. Um, uh, But, um, you know, I use salt every day. I never think about like the history of it. So I think like it's, yeah. it's just a way for us to all kind of go like, oh, this thing that I that I am familiar with, but I literally don't know hardly anything about. Yeah. Um, so Bria, what are you reading for this part of the challenge? I mean, I'm probably going to read girly drinks. <laughs> I mean, why would I not? I will say Thank I you. started for this challenge reading a microstory on chocolate. Like that makes so much sense, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I have to admit to you and the Reading Glasses audience that uh, just because a book is a micro history about something that we love uh, doesn't mean we'll necessarily enjoy it. Uh, so I tried wah, wah. it. I think I'm going to return to this book because I am really interested in it and I feel like I should try to give it another shot. I'm also just, my brain hasn't been working that well. Um, I also looked through, I've already read a couple micro histories. I read um, Why Fish Don't Exist, which is kind of technically a micro history. I would count it. It's like a, mi- yeah, it's, al- it's almost like a micro history biography. Yeah, which is kind of like the one I'm reading right now. The the yeah. uh, the why we swim, and then I also read four lost cities. Um, um, oh, past so guest good. of the show, um, and um, that one was a great one. And it's a it's definitely a micro history. It's about the history of these four cities that you know are no longer yeah. around. And it's wicked, wicked good. And you um, would crush it. So I have a so I have a so I have a couple I can choose from, but I'm definitely gonna read girly drinks too. So I can always just count that. Um, what are you reading for this part of the challenge? Uh, I'm very fortunate because one of my favorite nonfiction slash microhistory authors is also my friend, uh, Mark Haskell Smith. Uh, he released a book in August called um, Rude Talk in Athens. And <laughs> it's a history of comedy and raunchiness in ancient Greece and how it challenged the patriarchy. Um, and it's so – as soon as – I remember Mark telling me about it before – like while he was writing it. And I was like, give it to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> give me that book. Um Part of why I love microhistory is like looking at one very specific thing and seeing how it reflected or changed the world around it. And this book does that really well. Um, and Mark, he's just like really funny and he's very smart and I would really recommend it. Um, it's just so much fun. Um, he's done other nonfiction books about things like um, my favorite is Naked at Lunch, which I've talked about on the show before, which is about mm-hmm. nudism. Mm-hmm. Um, and we the, he has one about weed, which is also funny. Um, it's just fantastic. So I'm this is the one that I've been looking forward to for this. And if people are looking for ones um, to read, although you should probably read Girly Drinks, but uh, there is a great list we can link to that uh, Book Riot did a couple years ago, which is basically like Mm -hmm. this huge list of micro histories and all sorts of um, good ones are on that. Uh, So before we finish talking about micro histories, we're going to take a quick break. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. We're both doctors. and Nope, just me. Okay, well, Sydney's a doctor, and I'm a medical enthusiast, and we create Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Every week, I dig through the annals of medical history to bring you the wildest, grossest, sometimes dumbest tales of ways we've tried to treat people throughout history. And lately, we do a lot of modern fake medicine. Because everything's a disaster, but it's slightly less of a disaster every Friday, right here on MaximumFun.org, as we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. And remember, don't drill a hole in your head. (laughs) 
back. Um, so let's talk a little bit about girly drinks, Mallory. So this girly is drinks. My, my little virtual confetti and my virtual champagne. <laughs> girly drinks came out two days ago, if you're listening to this on the day it, it comes out. Um, would you consider it a microhistory? Sure, why not? I mean, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a look at a very specific thing, um, drinking culture, um, from a very specific lens, which is women's history. Because um, when I started writing it, I really wanted to answer the question of how drinking and drinks became gendered. It just seemed like a silly thing to be gendered, as most things that are gendered are silly. Um, and it starts at the very beginning of time and goes up into the present day. Um, and each chapter is a very specific time period and follows one female historical figure, either a drinker or a bartender, or a distiller, or a brewer, you name it, um, through her time period. And she she sort of illustrates you know, what things were like for drinking women during that time period, how drinking culture looked at women, and how women changed drinking culture during that time period. Hmm. Okay. So uh, since we have a microhistory writer right here on the show, um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I want to ask some microhistory kind of questions. So how, how do you decide if what you're writing is sort of micro or macro enough? Like, for example, did you ever just want to write on the history of drinking period all over the world or like on the other end of spec- the spectrum? How did you ever want to think like, oh, maybe I should just write about this like one cocktail or something like I should just write about the history of the Manhattan or something like what made you decide this one path um, to see like the lens for drinking? It was really tough. Um this book definitely could have been like a thousand pages long uh, if I let it be um, any, honestly, any of the chapters could have been their own book. Uh, the prohibition chapter, especially um, prohibition chapter is the longest chapter in the book uh, just because there is so much women's history during that time period, just in yeah. America. That's yeah. the other thing is the book is all over the globe. Um, and cause I didn't want to do that like weird American history thing where we're like, okay, Ancient Greece, Rome, a little bit of England, and then America. No <laughs> other history exists. Like, I hate that so much. So I really wanted to explore what was happening all around the world. Um, and the Prohibition chapter is just like a honker. Um, the, the thing that really helped me was sticking to my very specific lens in my mission is like, what were women drinking and why? Um the why part was really important because it kept me moving through history, like examining how that why changed from time period to time period. And it kept me from getting too bogged down into one part, even though I wanted to, uh, cause it, I mean, so, so much of it is so interesting, but I really wanted to keep it moving and, and get all over, get into the whole history. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we were just talking about micro histories that kind of include a memoir, like, um, why fish don't exist. Um, did you end up including um, sort of a, a, a memoir or things about yourself in this, or did you kind of just stick to the facts? What can we expect here from the book? I didn't. Um, I I wrote an intro to the book that is like that, um, but the rest of the book doesn't. It's, there's no memoir parts of it. Uh, honestly, I just didn't have the emotional fortitude after Lady from the Black Lagoon. That book took a lot out of me. Um yeah, but luckily, my editor, Peter Joseph, who's fantastic, he came up with this amazing idea. Like, instead of just a straight history, each chapter would sort of have a main character of sorts to make it more narrative and more compelling. Mm-hmm. So in each chapter, in each time period, you get to read this woman's story and let her guide you through her time period. Um, so you it's like a bunch of little narratives. Um, and I made sure to choose all sorts of women. You know, I didn't want to just do... It's not just cocktails or just beer or just wine. It's like all booze. And I wanted to really um, 
sort of illustrate how widely drinking culture affects women and how drinking culture is affected by our society um, from all different angles. So I chose a bunch of really interesting. And some of the women are women that you would have heard of. Uh, the first woman in the book is Cleopatra. A lot of people don't realize that she, her and Mark Antony had their own drinking club. She used to wear a um, a ring, an amethyst ring that was engraved with the word for intoxication. <laughs> um which is pretty cool, but the same, at the same time, because she was a drinker and not like a problem drinker, but because she drank, that's how Rome was able to make a propaganda campaign against her because they were like, look at this immoral hussy, like wow. she likes to drink. And it feels so relevant because, you know, we still do that to women, you know, a thousand years later, two thousand years later. Um but so that's like I, I picked women like that, that you can kind of look through that very specific lens, but see something that really reflects a lot. Nice. All right. Um, so last question. Um, so I think so history is obviously fascinating to both of us. We just both gushed about our love of micro histories. <laughs> and I think and it's always sort of changing, right, because it's, we have access to new information, to new research where the histories that we learned, you know, in high school now have become much more inclusive, which is interesting because, like, you think history is, like, this static thing, but actually it's very changeable. So, first, like, what was the research process like? Second, is there anything that really surprised you? And then, based on this sort of, like, history changing thing, was there anything that you think um, wouldn't have been available to you if you wrote this book, like, 30 years ago? Like, any information that you're like, oh, I'm so glad I wrote this book in 20. 20- <laughs> um that might be the only thing <laughs> the only reason you'd writing be happy this to book write it. 20, writing writing this book in 2020 was tough um because this, this whatever i did for lady from the black lagoon like this was research cranked up to 11 especially since i had to do a lot of it during the pandemic um thank god for the los angeles public library having an online uh, online access because i uh-huh. would not have been able to write this book um i think my guess is I read I read about six hundred books for girly drinks. Wow, which is why I've been I, I was looking at my um uh last year and this year's book like reading count for the end of the year and I was like why is this so low and I'm like oh right because I read about a fucking bazillion books for work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh so because no book like this existed um I had to read every single alcohol drinking culture feasting partying and culinary history book that i could find then i had to read women's history from every part of the world and in every time period and then sort of put them on top of each other and find the venn diagram um it was a ton of fucking work but it was really important for me to not just put a bunch of cocktail history in the book but to put it into context like um uh in, in medieval Western Europe, women completely controlled the alcohol trade, yeah. like absolutely completely. Oh. But it was the only trade they controlled. And I, I, I and I wanted to know why. And I really wanted to put that into context that, you know, women controlled this trade because it was the only trade that you could do without having an apprenticeship with household tools while watching your kids. And so I think I, to me, it was just so much more interesting to be able to have that context than just be like, women did this. You know, I really wanted to know why. Um, the surprising thing was just how fucking much there was. I could not believe it. I ended there was so much. I ended up having to add a chapter to the outline that I sent my editor. I ended up having to email Peter, be like, Peter, I have to add more stuff because there's just 
I can't fit this all into what I had sent you before. Uh, I couldn't believe that no one had written this book before. There was just so much history, so much really interesting history, and no one had written about it from like a feminist perspective like that. Mm -hmm. And I was just so floored. Um, And I mean, Brian, you know this better than anybody as someone who has a degree in history, like so much history. You're just telling a story. That's all history is. History is there's no like true history everyone experiences what's true to somebody else is different to 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 another person um and a lot of the history in the world up up until very recently is very sexist and very racist um very homophobic so there was a lot of me having to like when i was looking for for um black drinking history in america i had to make sure because a lot of the like the quote-unquote history and like sources from back then are just like very shitty and racist and like i had to read between the lines a lot a lot to find out what was actually going on um and uh, a great example of this is so the first chapter is all prehistory like the beginning of time beginning of civilization um and the very very first known depiction of anybody drinking in the entire world is a woman. It's this cave painting that in France, I think she's 25,000 years old and she's drinking mead out of a drinking horn. Um, but for, uh, until very recently people, um, like male archeologists, scholars, writers, historians didn't realize that she was drinking because they were so biased thinking that women don't drink that they thought she was playing a horn backwards. Oh my God. She was like, just shitty at playing an instrument (laughs) that like that somebody would take the time to immortalize the world's shittiest musician onto a wall Mm -hmm. until finally someone was like, I think she's just drinking. She's just drinking out of a mean horn. Um, It's not a fertility figure. It's just a lady drinking Um, just because she's a woman. Doesn't mean that, you know, it's a fertility figure just because she's a woman. Doesn't mean she doesn't know how to use a mead horn. Like, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a, a lot of stuff like that where I had to sift through biases and sexism and be like, oh, no, this is what's actually going on. Um, and I think if I had written this book 30 years ago, I wouldn't have had that um, more more accurate, less shitty history to be able to sift through, um, you know, because just 30 years ago, we weren't. Yeah. People didn't care about us, about this stuff as yeah. much. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's great. So I don't think I would have been able to 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 write it. Mallory, where can people buy your book? Oh, geez, everywhere. Um, you know you can get it on Bookshop. I read the audiobook, um, which you can get from our friends over at Libro FM. I think I'm actually featured on there this month. Do you love uh, this voice? Boy, I am kids. Then <laughs> <laughs> I'm never writing about the French ever again. <laughs> what an there was like I was so there was one chapter um the I think it's the 1800s chapter that talks a lot about champagne uh, because some of the biggest um innovations in champagne were made by women and it was like full of french words oh my god and it was a fucking nightmare to record and then I w- had to go back in September to to do any pickups and it was like all the French words that I <laughs> fucked up the first time and I had to re-record them so when you listen to the audiobook no I worked very hard on it um but I'm sorry French people I will never write about you ever again um <laughs> the ebook and the print versions have photos in them um I think because if you were listening to this today tonight I am like when it comes out Thursday the 21st I am launching it in person at Skylight Books with um Hope Ewing who is a uh, cocktail writer that I really, really admire. 
And there's four glassers. I'm going to have a bunch of free stuff, koozies, bookmarks, recipe pamphlets. There's going to be a, a, a bunch of fun stuff. I think we might even have free cocktails. Um, if you you can come tonight, get your book signed. And I think you can keep getting signed books from Skylight. I think that's the only place you can get sky, signed books right now. Um, for virtual people, um, by virtual people, I mean people who can't come to L.A., <laughs> <laughs> for all you people. living holograms out there listen in <laughs> for all the holograms um for everybody else on uh, my virtual launch is happening next week on the 29th um me and megan rosenblum who wrote dark archives uh we are going to be in conversation for story fest it was supposed to happen in person obviously that's not happening um uh skylight books i believe is my only gonna be my only in-person um uh event this whole year i am going to be doing a bunch of virtual stuff so i'll keep people posted on that um but yeah you can get get the book anywhere um if you again if you like if you are a wine person or a foodie person or a history person or a feminist person there's something i I specifically wrote the book so you don't have have to have any prior knowledge of beer wine cocktails literally anything like when i first wrote it my uh my editor peter used to be a cocktail writer and there were all these things where he was like you don't have to explain what that is people are gonna know and then his editorial assistant grace towery read it and she was like you absolutely have to explain what some of this stuff is i have no idea what it is (laughs) um so we did made sure to do that pass so you don't have to worry about um knowing anything about bartending or or stuff like that it's it's and uh there are going to be footnotes. There are going to be swears still, uh, still. There's no memoir parts of it, but it's still me writing it. So, um, fun, exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, so you can send your thoughts to reading glasses podcast at gmail.com. If you also what Mallory's book, don't forget you can get it at bookshop.org or any place where you buy your books. Now let's solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners, Claire from New Hampshire. Hey, writes in, my partner and I did a mini couples book club last year where we both bought the same book and read it at the same time so that we could discuss it and experience it together, which we ended up really enjoying. The next book in the series is out and we want to do this again, but we just moved in together. Yay. And aren't sure how we should go about reading the same book. It seems a bit extra to have two copies of multiple books on our shelf. What are some ways to have a couples book club when you share the same personal library? Bria, what should Claire and her significant other do? First, I think there's something kind of cute about um, two book of the same books on the shelf. Like, you can always go back and see which ones were part of your couple's book club. Like, people will be like, why do you have two that copies is, is of this? That is pretty cute. It's, like, kind of adorable. Um, also, you can always sell one or give it away to somebody and be like, this was from our couple's book club, so now you can have this book. I think that's totally <laughs> fine if you want to buy two books. Um Agreed. But um, trading off seems okay if you read it different times a day, but it could be a problem if you want to read the book, if you both like or like I read before bed. Um, It seems like that is a good way to start a couple fight that isn't needed. (laughs) Then you could just avoid. Mallory, do you have uh, advice for these people? Well, it's funny. Jeremy and I are in this right now. We were just talking uh, about a book that you are going to talk about next week. Um, (laughs) That I pre I part me pre-ordered and then it came in the mail and Jeremy saw it and he took it and he started reading it first. Um wow. is, it's fine. It's wow. Fine. Uh one, I think a lot of it depends on your reading speed. You know, Jeremy and I deal with this all the time. Um 
if one of and that's why we're ha- I'm having a hard time now because he took that book I pre-ordered because I am a faster reader than Jeremy. Um, so if one of you is a way faster reader than the other, maybe let them blaze through it first and then you can read it next. Which I like that you're giving this do. advice as the faster reader, though, because Jeremy may say that the slower it's reader true. should get it first because then they can like actually read it and then the fast reader can catch up real fast and be like, let's talk about it. I, I will say it has taken like literally all of my um, self, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-control to not grab it. When, like sometimes I see it on the, on the he, he's almost done with it. He's really close to being done, but it's on the coffee table and sometimes I want to steal it. Um, I mean, you can just, you know, mark it. So, and we have done that before. We have read books at the same time. And if you want to read it uh, at the same time, just get you bookmarks, the, the old multiple bookmark mm-hmm, method. Mm-hmm. Um just read the same copies at different times and use two different bookmarks. Um, but again, that is tough if you like reading at the exact same time. Maybe I, I think it'd be cool to get one physical copy of the book to keep on the bookshelf and then buy the audiobook and listen to it together. Uh, I think that's great. The audiobook is great. Because then you can like get get all in bed, get in front of the fireplace, get on the couch, like eat some snacks or whatever. And then you're literally reading it at the exact same time. So you can, that makes like talking about it. Perfect. And you don't have to do that thing where you're like, Oh, what part do you want? Oh, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. I Um, think that's a great idea. And you know, if you've got the money, buy the same book, but if you want to just keep copy, I I think getting one copy and getting the audiobook is a, is a really cool car rides, make a dinner, all those couple things. You could be reading a book and then pause it and talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you want to solve your reader problem, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, you can buy Reading Glasses tote bags and shirts and stickers in our new store. There is so much cool stuff. There's pillows that you can get. Bria got the library user pillow. I have the libraries are fucking awesome t-shirt. I am obsessed with it. I wear it all the time. Uh, there's all kinds of cool stuff in there. Um, and if you like the show and want to do something for f- us for free, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It's fantastic. It helps us reach more listeners. It helps us get more advertisers. It helps us look extremely impressive to other podcasts. They're like, wow, look at these guys. Uh, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast. On Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for reading. For reading.